Hi, y'all, and welcome back to the Unknown Soldiers podcast. I'm your host, James Hauser, and welcome, come one, come all, for the second series. This one's my big one, I think, my real leap into the dark. I've always meant for this podcast to eventually be largely series-based, even if I will do standalone episodes just as often. I want to get those longer stories out there. And just like with the Jacobite Wars in the 45, sometimes there's a story that cannot be crammed into one or even two episodes, and it would lose a lot in the telling if I tried. But this is the risky one. My first series on the Jacobite rebellions, including the 45 and the Battle of Culloden, might have been a story y'all didn't know. But it took place in a part of the world, a time period, and a culture that I think is fairly familiar to most folks. Well, this series is going to be different. We're going to places that might be less familiar, a time period which might be much less familiar, and a war that is not only obscure but almost absent from pop culture. This series is my big gamble. I'm going so far out of the common Western frame of reference that I don't know how people will react. The story I'll be telling over the next four episodes is the story of the Imjin War, the Japanese invasions of Korea from 1592 to 1598, probably the largest war of the 16th century. If you are drawing a complete blank on this conflict going, hmm, I've never heard of that, that's okay. Most people haven't. That's why I'm talking about it. I tell people about the Imjin War and I get zero looks of recognition. No one got interested. But if you stick around, I think I can make you interested. Even if you never heard about this war before today, I think I can show you why you should care. So for this introduction, I want to give a very basic framework of what this war was and why I'm talking about it. I need to get some terminology, some geography, just some housekeeping out of the way. And then I'm going to touch on the historiography, that is, what other historians have written about the Imjin War. Long story short, not a lot at least in English. Finally, I'll explain the themes I'm going to take with this story, the things I'm going to focus on the most. So if you don't know your Mongols from your Mings, great, this is the place for you. I won't take up too much time. If you just want to go on campaign and you can't wait, be my guest and listen to episode 20, The Imjin War Part 1, Samurai Blitzkrieg. It is already on the feed. You still here? Awesome, let's roll. First, Where and when does this take place? Our story occurs in the 1590s, near the end of the 16th century, in East Asia. The Imjin War lasted from 1592 to 1598. Just to establish a baseline for what's going on in Europe, this is during the Tudor Dynasty in England, the reign of Elizabeth I. This entire war, all the events I'm talking about in this series, take place during the career of William Shakespeare. It's the age of the Inquisition, of people arguing over whether the sun revolves around the earth, or vice versa. Technology-wise, we got no steam power, no electricity, no scientific method, but the scientific method is being worked on. Uh, Francis Bacon is writing his books that will eventually describe the scientific method. We do have the printing press, the compass, Columbus has discovered the new world, and we have guns. Europeans have discovered and started colonizing the Americas. The Spanish have conquered Mexico and Peru. Now, the Roanoke colony has been founded, and it's vanished. But Jamestown has not been founded. So this is when England is really thinking about settling America, but they haven't really gotten rolling yet. So... After Columbus, before America. After Columbus, before the 13 colonies. Got it? Cool. 
So to put this story in place vis-a-vis other events in this podcast so far, this is 30 years after the Siege of Malta, 100 years before the Stuart dynasty is overthrown in the Glorious Revolution, about 150 years before the Battle of Culloden, and Najinga of Ndongo is alive throughout this time period. Now, people in Europe and East Asia know of each other's existence. They've met. European ships are arriving in China and Japan. But they don't really know much about each other. The Europeans are still relative newcomers, and the Chinese aren't going over to Europe. There's contact, but it's very early and limited. China is a mysterious land to the Europeans, and vice versa. There's actually a famous map that's drawn in this time period by a European visitor to China that reveals to the the Chinese for the first time the existence of the Americas. So, they're still filling each other out. Now, our three major countries in this series, the three entities we're worried about, are China, Korea, and Japan. China is ruled by an imperial dynasty called the Ming, and they are the dominant power in Asia, a powerful, complex imperial state run by an educated elite and easily the largest and most powerful country on earth. But every Chinese dynasty has its rise and fall, and the Ming dynasty is starting to enter the fall stage. In this series, I will refer to China as the Chinese or just as the Ming. Korea is a unified kingdom, ruled from the capital of Seoul by the Joseon dynasty. Korea is a peaceful, quiet kingdom that mainly just guards its borders and minds its own business, and has something of a big brother-little brother relationship with China, like a close alliance. Korea is also in a bit of a scientific and cultural golden age when this series begins. And then there's Japan. This is a time period referred to as the Age of War, the Sengoku Jidai in Japan, a period of generations-long internal conflict between powerful samurai warlords fighting for supremacy. If you have an image in your head of samurai or ninjas or geishas, this is pretty much from that time period. And the winner of the Japanese Civil War is the guy who starts the Imjin War. I will note... Way back in August, I did an episode about the Mongol invasions of Japan. This is about 300 years after that. The Mongols are no longer a major factor. They had their invasions, and eventually they were driven out, and that's when this is, long after the Mongols have stopped being a factor. So none of these countries are remotely similar to their present-day versions. China isn't communist. It's an empire that functions on ancient tradition and religious beliefs. Korea isn't divided by a war zone, it's a peaceful united kingdom. Japan isn't a functioning democracy, but a militarized warrior state dominated by samurai chieftains where the emperor is basically just a figurehead. I'm not, I'm barely even going to mention the emperor of Japan at all in this series because he just doesn't play much of a role because nobody cares what he thinks. Now for warfare. The Imjin War happens in that time period when cannons and muskets are starting to become a big force in warfare. That transition period I talked about way back in October, from Mustangs to Muskets. So people in this conflict are using cannons, muskets, mortars, bombs, rockets, you name it. But they're also still fighting with lots of spears, swords, bows, and arrows. Ships are shooting each other one minute, then ramming and boarding and fighting hand-to-hand with clubs and swords the next. The Japanese wait till their musketmen have shot all their rounds, then charge ahead with spears and katanas. The wild coexistence of medieval and modern weaponry is going to be a constant in this story, just like it was in the Siege of Malta or the Wars of Najinga in Angola. 
So what is the Imjin War? So I'm going to give you guys a very quick summary of what I'm going to tell you in the next four episodes. Spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen. So, the Japanese Samurai Civil Wars ended when one warlord, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, fought his way to the top of the heap. Hideyoshi somehow got it into his head that he could conquer China and prepared a massive army to invade Korea as step one. This surprise attack on the peaceful, unsuspecting kingdom of Korea occurred in 1592, beginning what we call the Imjin War. The Chinese intervened to rescue Korea, so those are your two sides, Japan on one side, China and Korea on the other. The initial period of the war lasted from 1592 to 1593. The Japanese invaded deep into Korea and nearly destroyed it, but were stopped by Chinese and Korean resistance. After the Japanese admitted defeat, the two sides declared a truce and began peace talks, which lasted from 1593 to 1597. When the peace talks broke down, the Japanese launched a second invasion in 1597, but this one failed as well. After Hideyoshi died, the Japanese evacuated Korea, leaving behind a devastated and ruined country. So yeah, that's a very bland description of what I'm going to tell you four episodes of, but you get my point. That's a very broad overview of what happens, the bereft of all that fun detail I like to throw in. But here's the thing. The Imjin War was an amazing conflict. It was marked by a incredible courage and equally incredible brutality. I once said that people went hard in the 16th century. I think I, that was like my little tagline for the Siege of Malta episode. And this conflict proves that in spades. No one went harder than the unknown soldiers of the Imjin War. This was the 16th century's single largest and most destructive conflict anywhere. So those are the events that I will cover over the next four episodes. Now, I'm going to break down how this series is going to go for you. I will have four main episodes, same as the last series. And same as the last series, the first episode, episode 20, is going to be a little bit longer than my normal episodes because i got to cram all that early setup context stuff in there. Consider it a mega episode. But these four main episodes, episodes 20 through 23, will cover the narrative of the war. And I will wrap it all up with episode 23 and tell you all about why the heck this war matters. You should care, and I'm going to tell you why. And as I do with my series, I will include supplemental short rounds, bonus short rounds to provide more detail, some of which I will release on Fridays. These will include one short round about the Japanese military and one about the Chinese military. Finally, I'll finish up the series in the first week of March with a couple of loose ends or include stuff I didn't have time to fit, like um, another short round. So that's what I'll be talking about. Now that that's established, we need to clear some stuff up. First, why is it called the Imjin War? The Imjin War is referred to by a few different names. You won't always see it called the Imjin War in texts. The Japanese refer to it by regnal era names or just as Hideyoshi's invasions of Korea. The Chinese call it the Korean Emergency, or the Wanli Korean Campaign, after the name of the reigning emperor. Most Western historians just call them the Japanese invasions of Korea, with a date next to it, and that's what you'll, how you'll find it on Wikipedia or wherever. But the Koreans call this conflict the Imjin Disturbance, or the Imjin War, because it began in the year 1592, 
which is the year of Imjin, the year of the water dragon. So basically the War of 1592. I chose the Imjin War because it's just the best name by far. Plus, imagine the title of that episode. Episode 20, The Japanese Invasions of Korea Part 1, Samurai Blitzkrieg. That is a heckin' oof of a title. No need to thank me for not doing that. Also, throughout this series, I use some words that sacrifice accuracy for clarity. For one thing, Korea did not call itself Korea in 1592. The country was called Choson after its ruling dynasty. They would refer to themselves as the Kingdom of the Choson or Kingdom of Choson. So I'm technically wrong every time I call it Korea throughout this series, but I'm telling this story for Western audiences, and I'm going to be a little bit inaccurate so it's easier for people to follow along. Same thing, the Choson capital city of Hanseong is known today as Seoul, the capital of South Korea. I will call this city Seoul throughout this series, again just a teensy bit inaccurate. I will also refer to the three warring sides as Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, even if that isn't always the most accurate word I could use, and I will also just sometimes call the Chinese the Ming. I also tend to refer to the Japanese army as a samurai army when it was more complicated than that, but we'll find out all about that. I'm just calling them samurai, a samurai army to help keep you guys in the mood. Then there is geography. Once again, guys, this is a series I will have hand-drawn maps of the Imjin War for you. One map will be of East Asia in the 1590s, and one will be a close-up of Korea itself where all the action is going to take place. These are homemade maps with all the important places on them that I drew just for you. If I mention a place in my podcast, it is going to be on the map. So if you need to, go ahead and take a look. Unless you're driving, in which case, please don't. And finally, all my sources will be in one big old source post on my website, and this spans the entire series. That's where you can find everything. So speaking of those sources, I need to do a quick discussion on the books and resources I used for this series, the historiography of the Imjin War. As a reminder, historiography is the body of historical work on a particular subject, the history of the history almost. But the thing is, there just isn't a big body of English-language work on the Imjin War. People who read Chinese, Japanese, or Korean have a bunch of sources at their disposal. Unfortunately for me, I do not. I have to rely on English-language sources, and these are very, very, very limited. When I did my research for the Jacobite Wars, I was spoiled, because people only ever write about it in English. There are literally hundreds of books on Culloden, the 45, the Jacobites, Bonnie Prince Charlie. Uh, Side note, I ran into a lot of trouble doing research sometimes because I would be looking in the library for the term Jacobite, the term Highlander, and I would get a thousand romance books before I got one history book with titles like, you know, Her Jacobite Lover or Highlander in Chains or some crazy thing like that. But this is a really obscure conflict. The Imjin War is a really obscure conflict for English-speaking audiences. There are only three full-length works on the Imjin War in English, and all have been published in the last 20 years. There are some articles, some chapters that have been helpful, but most of my research came from these three books, and sometimes these books disagreed on very basic facts. So the first book is Dr. Stephen Turnbull's Samurai Invasion, Japan's Korean War 1592-1598, published in 2002. Turnbull is basically the reigning expert on Japanese samurai warfare. He's written literally dozens of books about the samurai and other topics. But because of his field, Turnbull's work focuses on the Japanese perspective. So there's a bit of a bias there. Still, in my opinion, his book is the best if you, the general listener, ever want to read about this war. 
Got good pictures, too. I don't mean that in a condescending way, by the way. There's a lot of excellent images he has gotten from Korean and Japanese museums, artifacts, all this great stuff. The second book to be published was Samuel Hawley's The Imjin War, published in 2004. This book is by far the most detailed and most dramatic, which is a shame, because it's the least academic. And there is some stuff in there I'll look at pretty skeptically, especially when it comes to the Chinese perspective. Hawley is not a professional historian. He didn't use very many Chinese sources at all, and this is very much a popular history book. But it is well-researched and gives the most complete picture of the Imjin War from the Korean perspective. So the third book is Dr. Kenneth Swope's A Dragon's Head and a Serpent's Tail, Ming China and the First Great East Asian War, 1592-1598. Swope is the only English-speaking academic to really focus on the Imjin War, and his book is the only academic study of the conflict. Unlike the other two, Swope tends to argue that Ming China was a much more advanced military and government than people think. And Swope's Dr. Swope's specialty is the military history of Ming China, so I tend to believe him. But I think Swope has a little pro-Ming bias in his work, especially in some of his battle and campaign descriptions. So you see what I mean. There is no perfect history book on the Imjin War. I have done my best from these three full-length works and the articles, pamphlets, and sources I dredged up. I read each of these books like three times. Everything I'm about to tell you is accurate to the best of my knowledge. This was a tough one to research, but that's one of the things I think it's so important to talk about. Finally, I'm going to talk about my themes for this series, what I'm trying to accomplish, what I'm trying to get across. First off, this is a different kind of war than the Jacobite Wars, or really any of the wars I've discussed so far. The Imjin War was a massive conflict, like I've said, probably the largest conflict of the 16th century, a complex struggle involving three large Asian countries. Compared to the 45, on just a basic scale, there are a lot of sieges and a lot of naval battles in this war when there weren't that many in the, in the 45. But the Imjin War is also different because of its sheer brutality, and I'm going to try and bring that across as best I can without giving you nightmares. Some of the stuff that happened in this war still shocks me. This is a much bloodier series than the Jacobite Wars, and that was pretty darn bloody. But this was just how things were in the 16th century. People went hard in all the best and all the worst ways. This is a different moral world than the one we live in today. War with different rules and very few limits. The absolute cruelty of this war will be a constant running theme in this series. But while that might feel completely different from the modern world, from anything we're familiar with, it's not really. Because my other major theme is the common humanity in this story. Let me explain. I chose the Jacobite Wars as my first series because of its closeness to stuff we're already familiar with. And I chose the Imjin War as my second series because of the opposite, because of its unfamiliarity. I'm challenging myself, and I'm trying to challenge you. Can I give you a reason to care about something you might never have heard of until today? Can you see past the unfamiliar places and names, the weird time period and different culture of the people in this war, and see the human experience beneath it? This conflict happened in a world very different from 21st century America, but not that different. These are still people doing people things, no matter what language they speak or clothes they wear, where they were born, or what religions or traditions they believe. People doing people things. And that's just history all over the world. They're different, but they're not that different. The experiences that all these people 
had Chinese, Japanese, and Korean in the Imjin War, we can connect with them. We can understand and empathize with them. This is why I will begin every full-length episode in this series with a vignette, a short little story to drive home just how similar the Imjin War was to so many other human experiences. It might be from the point of view of a general or a soldier or a civilian. It will describe someone in a situation that could be any conflict across the world, just to show that nothing that happened in the Imjin War was that different from the common human experience, even the modern experience. That their story, like every human story, mattered. You should care, and I'm going to tell you why. So that'll about wrap up this introduction. Hope you guys are ready to go abroad for one of history's greatest forgotten conflicts. Strap on your armor, load your musket, and tighten your helmet, and hold on tight to the railing on your warship. The currents out here are pretty strong. Join me for the next few weeks as we go on campaign in Korea. Only here on Unknown Soldiers.